You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. <coughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. This is our very last episode of the year, and per tradition, we're covering all the updates we saw in 2023. I'll be going in order beginning with the cases I covered in 2021 all the way through today, ending with Alyssa's case. 2023 saw updates in the cases of Alicia Navarro, Brandy Myers in the Arizona Canal killings, Tara Calico, Margarita Sandoval, Naomi Irion, Harmony Montgomery, Madeline Kingsbury, Anaya Walker, and my sister, Alyssa Turney. These are 2023 updates. One of the first cases I covered outside of my sister Alyssa's was the case of 14-year-old Alicia Navarro. She was featured in episode 5 in February 2021. As a refresher, Alicia left her mother a note that said that she was leaving, but that she would be back. Then she seemingly vanished without a trace from Glendale, Arizona in 2019. I've discussed Alicia's case many times on this podcast. Voices for Justice has sponsored events to raise awareness for Alicia. And over the years, it became close to her mom, Jessica. Alicia has received international attention. She had billboards across the country and in Mexico. And in July of this year, at the age of 18, 
Alicia walked into a police station in Montana and identified herself. This caused a lot of uproar. People were rightfully concerned and confused as it came out that Alicia was staying with a 36-year-old man named Edmund Davis. By October, Davis was arrested on charges of child sexual abuse after explicit images were found on his cell phone, not related to Alicia. And Alicia has finally returned home to her mother, Jessica. Alicia is safe. And at this point, this is Alicia's story to tell should she ever choose to tell it. And both Alicia and Jessica have asked for privacy during this time. So, I will leave this update by just saying this. There is always hope. The next update comes from episode 11 in March of 2021, the case of Brandy Myers and the Arizona Canal killings. This update is quite personal to me as well. This is another local Arizona case from 1992. 13-year-old Brandy Myers was going door-to-door raising money for her school when she disappeared. Brandy and my sister Alyssa shared the same detective for quite some time. And as the Phoenix Police Department told me, they also sat down with Brandy's sister, Kristen, and basically said, we know who killed your sister, down to the color of trash bags her body was disposed of in. But we can't prosecute. Your best chance is to get media attention. The person investigators believe killed Brandy is Brian Patrick Miller. This summer, he was sentenced to death for the murder of 21-year-old Angela Brasso and 17-year-old Melanie Burness. A confession Miller made to his ex-wife about killing Brandy Myers was used in court against him in relation to Angela and Melanie, but the Maricopa County Prosecutor's Office has yet to charge Miller with any crime related to Brandy. Next is episode 32 from August 2021, the case of 19-year-old Tara Calico. Tara went missing from Belen, New Mexico in 1988 while going for her daily bike ride. Tara's case is undoubtedly one of the most well-known in true crime even nearly 40 years later. But here on Voices for Justice, we know that just because a case is older doesn't mean that there will never be updates or some type of answers. In June of this year, authorities announced that they believe they have enough evidence to finally bring charges against someone in this case. Now, the Valencia County Sheriff's Office is being extremely tight-lipped about this update, and I'm sure with good reason so that's all we really know. But VCSO Sheriff Denise Vigil told KBOB4 News, quote, In the coming months, VCSO looks forward to working with Valencia County prosecutors to get justice for Tara and her family. So let's all keep our fingers crossed that a more major update is coming soon. Unfortunately, that is it for our 2021 case updates. Let's move on to our 2022 cases. 19-year-old Margarita Sandoval was featured in January 2022 in episode 54. Her case is nothing short of horrific and tragic. Margarita had cognitive disabilities and was under the care of her brother Octavio Sanchez and his wife Desiree in Norman, Oklahoma. Margarita's other family members stopped hearing from her in 2018, while Octavio and Desiree continued to cash Margarita's social security benefits, totaling nearly $31,000. Then, in 2021, Norman police got a tip that a body was found in the basement of a man Octavio was associated with, and it was Margarita. Like when I first covered this case, Margarita's case hasn't gotten a lot of attention in the media, but I was able to find a small update. In 2021, both Octavio and Desiree were charged with first-degree murder and unlawful removal of a body. 
And finally, this November, Desiree was found guilty on both charges and is awaiting sentencing in 2024. Octavio is still awaiting trial. Our next update comes from episode 63 that aired in March of 2022, the case of Naomi Irion. And again, Naomi's case is nothing short of heartbreaking. It was featured on the podcast just a few weeks after she was reported missing. And I will never forget that just a few hours after posting the episode, it was announced that her remains were found. It was later discovered that Naomi was the victim of really just a random act of violence. According to police, 43-year-old Troy Driver saw Naomi in her car in a Fernley, Nevada Walmart parking lot. She was waiting for a shuttle to her job. He entered her vehicle and later killed her. Driver was later arrested and pleaded not guilty to all charges related to Naomi. However, while awaiting trial in August 2023, Driver died by suicide while in police custody. Just a few weeks ago, Naomi's sister Tamara posted on her Twitter account dedicated to Naomi that Driver did leave a note before completing suicide. And despite this note never being released to the public, it was sent to her on Twitter. There really are no words for things like this. Driver's death before trial, being sent evidence without warning. All I can say is that I, and I'm sure a lot of you out there, are sending so much love to Naomi's family as they navigate where to go from here. Next is the case of five-year-old Harmony Montgomery, who was featured in episodes 68 and 69 in May of 2022. Harmony's case touched me and so many of you. It's hard to look at Harmony's face and not want to fight for her, and honestly, not to be angry for her, especially given the information that came out about her in 2023. But as a brief refresher, Harmony was last seen around October 2019 in New Hampshire with her father, Adam Montgomery, and stepmother, Kayla Montgomery, but she wasn't reported missing until about two years later. Over the two episodes, I discussed Harmony's tough upbringing and how she was failed by child protection services again and again, ultimately leaving her in the care of her father. Then, Adam Montgomery was arrested in October 2022 for Harmony's murder. His wife Kayla was facing charges as well, welfare fraud, receiving stolen property, and perjury. Then, she finally spoke about what happened to Harmony. This information was unsealed this summer and goes over some horrific details of Harmony's last moments, and how her body was handled after that. Now, I'm not going to go into everything. It's just not my style on this podcast, especially when speaking about a five-year-old. But interviews with Kayla allege that Adam repeatedly punched Harmony in the face and head on December 7th, 2019. Kayla says Adam confided in her, quote, I think I really hurt her this time. I think I did something. They did not attempt to provide Harmony with medical attention or seek outside help. Adam and Kayla allegedly kept Harmony's body in a duffel bag for months, moving her from place to place, even freezing her at one point. Then Kayla says Adam got a friend to rent him a U-Haul van, where he disposed of Harmony's remains in an unknown location. She has never been found. Kayla Montgomery was sentenced to a minimum of 18 months in prison after pleading guilty to charges of lying to a grand jury. Her remaining charges were dropped as a part of her plea deal to cooperate with investigators. 
Adam Montgomery was found guilty on six felony weapons charges in a separate case and is facing 20 years in prison on those charges. However, he has pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder, falsifying physical evidence, and abuse of a corpse in relation to Harmony. He is currently awaiting trial. And that is it for updates from our 2022 cases. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's discuss updates from cases featured on the podcast this year. Our first update is from episode 115, which aired in April. The case of 26-year-old Madeline Kingsbury. She went missing from Winona, Minnesota in March of this year. I covered Maddie's case when she had only been missing for just a few weeks, and a lot has developed since that episode. In June, Maddie's remains were found along Highway 43, about an hour south of Winona and her partner, 29-year-old Adam Fravel, was arrested and charged with second-degree murder shortly after. It's since come out that Maddie and Adam were severely behind on their rent due to Adam's unwillingness to contribute to the household bills. And shortly before she was killed, Maddie was planning on leaving Adam and getting her own place to live. By the fall, Adam was facing more charges and was indicted with the following. Murder in the first degree. Past pattern of domestic abuse murder in the first degree, premeditation, murder in the second degree, intentional without premeditation, murder in the second degree, unintentional while committing felony. His bail was set at $3 million, and if convicted, he could receive life in prison. The trial is projected to start in the fall of 2024. If you want to stay up to date on this case and how her family is honoring her life, I encourage you to follow her sister Megan on TikTok. I'll have that link in the show notes. She's working extremely hard to raise awareness for Maddie and domestic violence. Our next update comes from the very next case I discussed after Maddie Kingsbury. At the end of April, episode 116, the case of 16-year-old Anaya Walker. Anaya was the victim of sex trafficking and was forced to sell drugs at just 13 years old. One of her abusers, Jamal Pennington, was arrested in 2018 on many charges of child sex trafficking, molestation of a child, sexual conduct with a minor, and more. Anaya was one of two children Pennington was accused of abusing, and Anaya was set to testify in court, but she was found dead in Buckeye, Arizona in May 2020 before she had the chance. This August, Pennington was convicted on two of those charges related to the other victim. While he wasn't charged with anything related to Anaya, her family is hopeful that this is a step towards justice for Anaya. Her sister Nakia told Ashley Paredes at ABC 15, quote, It means a lot to us. It's one of the reasons why a lot of things with my sister started in regard to her being scared to be in Arizona. It brings me a little bit of closure, because I know it would have brought her closure. As of this recording, no one has been held responsible for Anaya's murder and her family has since created the Justice for Anaya Walker Foundation in her honor, where they plan to create a safe haven for at-risk youth. 
Last but not least is my sister Alyssa Turney's case. Now, as you all know, I am working on finishing Alyssa's story and that will be out in 2024, but it just felt wrong to leave her out of this episode given the large update in her case from this year. To be honest, going through that trial process has impacted my view of true crime and the justice system in ways I never imagined. But of course, this summer, Alyssa's case finally made it to court after waiting nearly three years since our father was arrested. After a series of requests for a mistrial, the defense requested my father to be acquitted due to the state not presenting their case against him, and it was granted by the judge. Our father walked free that day. While it wasn't the result many of us were expecting or wanted, I agree with the judge. As many of you watched the trial unfold, the general sentiment online was confusion about the state's plan of attack, what they chose to present, and what they chose to leave out. In short, few were pleased with the way that Alyssa and her case were presented in that courtroom. And I'm no exception. The state did not present their case, and they left out vital pieces of evidence that they fought and won to be admitted. So again, I do agree with the judge that the state did not present their case. But like I told the Maricopa County attorney, Rachel Mitchell, I fully believe that they could have with more effort and planning. Now, as I discussed earlier in this episode, Brandy Myers and Alyssa were assigned the same detective from the Phoenix Police Department for years. Eventually, Brian Patrick Miller and my and Alyssa's father were assigned the same state prosecutor too, Vince Imbordino. He's been practicing law since before I, Alyssa, or Brandy were ever born. He won his case against Brian Patrick Miller, and for that, I really am grateful and it made me hopeful that he would win Alyssa's case too. By happenstance, Alyssa's case continued to be intertwined with Brian Patrick Miller. For years, Mr. Imbordino told me that due to his immense workload on the Brian Patrick Miller case, Alyssa's case was on the back burner. Basically, he'd get to it when he could. Again, of course, I was happy that Angela Brasso and Melanie Burness were getting their day in court but it was hard to hear over and over again that there was simply no time to work on Alyssa's case. And in my opinion, by the time that case wrapped up in June 2023, Mr. Imbordino had very little time to get up to speed on the many layers and complexities in Alyssa's case by July when the trial began. It was really just a few weeks. For years, I was waiting for him to be wrapped up with Brian Patrick Miller and dedicate his time to Alyssa. I thought for sure there would be another continuance. But then they said that they'd be going to trial in just a few weeks, despite not knowing Alyssa's case. Detective William Anderson, who worked on Alyssa's case for many years, and to date knows her case better than anyone, probably even better than me, was called in to sit next to the state to answer questions during the trial. I sat right behind him in the first row, and I watched as Detective Anderson disappointingly shook his head at the many facts the state got wrong, and I also saw the hope in his eyes that Alyssa finally might get justice. But knowing what I knew behind the scenes, truth be told, watching that trial was like watching a car crash in slow motion. When the state called me in for a final meeting about Alyssa's case, I was asked questions that I'd tried to answer three years prior. Basic information about Alyssa's case, our family structure, 
and our father's long-term history of sexually and physically abusing women. When answering these questions, I offered to point out the supplementary evidence and witnesses, only to be told that it would be great to have, but now it's too late. They'd missed the deadline. A big theme in my life and this show is hope. Hope in Alyssa's case has evolved for me ever since she went missing in 2001. It began with hope that she was out there alive, in my college essays writing about her sipping margaritas on the beach somewhere. Then it was hope that she would at least get justice, hope that my father might confess. And honestly, this is hard to admit, but walking into that courtroom on the first day of trial was the first time in 22 years that I truly had no hope in this case. For the first time ever, I couldn't even visualize justice for Alyssa in any form. Of course, there is so much more to tell you about these past three years. Alyssa's case, restoring that hope that I'd always had, and my plans for the future. And I will share that in 2024. But for now, for Alyssa's case, that is where I will leave you. 2023 has been quite the year. So many ups and downs, heartbreaking updates, promising updates, case solves, and everything in between. And I feel a duty to be honest to you guys. 2023 has been one of the hardest years of my life. There were times when I wasn't sure I could continue this show. Times that I wanted to run as far away from true crime as I could. Hours spent sobbing over cases that hit too close to home. Evaluating whether or not I was capable of doing family interviews. And days where I just couldn't get out of bed. But in all the pain that comes with true crime, all of the triggers that I personally experience, one thing remains steady in my mind. Media pressure moves mountains. It's not just something I say or something I believe. It's something I see happen every single day in true crime. It's something I've experienced. And while these updates may not always be the ones that we wanted, the fact remains that discussing and sharing these cases, engaging in that call to action I nag you about every single week, leads to more eyes on these cases. It leads to more resources allocated, tips submitted. It creates hope. And sometimes, if we are very, very lucky, that media pressure leads to justice. But, as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you in 2024. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney, and is a Voices for Justice media original. If you love what we do here, please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the show in your podcast player. It's the easiest, and it's a free way to help us and help more people find these cases in need of justice.
Welcome to The Secret After Show. I guess as we close out 2023, I just want to um, once again say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting what I do here. I wouldn't be here without all of you listening. Literally, I mean, you guys built this platform. Every time you listen to a show, you support it, you like it, you subscribe, you leave a review, you're voting with your listens. I know I've said that so many times, um, but I just wanted to say thank you for voting for me and for voting for my style of true crime. I know it's not exciting, it's not fun, but I do think that it's meaningful. Because the thing is, um, for our segment of hope, the hope is you. All of you out there. And I'm not just saying that. I experienced that firsthand. When I began getting media attention for Alyssa, gosh, almost a decade ago now, I started with zero followers. I had a Facebook and like a little Instagram where I posted pictures of my dogs, but... Then I created all the Justice for Alyssa pages that it all started at zero. But then you guys started sharing. Um, you started messaging me, asking me questions, sending me love. You guys created the hope for Justice for Alyssa. You guys showed me that true crime in general and the true crime audience, the listeners, the watchers, whatever platform you're on, you guys create the hope. You create the inspiration. So again, I know that I nag you in each and every episode with these calls to action, or at least it feels kind of naggy sometimes, but it's for good reason. I want every family that I feature, every victim that I feature, to get that same hope that you guys gave me with Alyssa. Because while... Sorry, there's a lot happening outside my window right now, but I'd rather just get these thoughts out than wait. Um, wow, there's so much that is terrible that happens in a true crime case when you're in it, when you're involved, when you're a family member, when you're a friend, whatever it is. For me, no matter how terrible the day was, the update I got from police, whatever it might be, when I logged into social media and saw hundreds, and then thousands, and then up to a million of you caring about Alyssa, that really did make it better. It also just continued to inspire me to work for Alyssa. When I felt like I had no family support, I had all of you. So again, you guys are the hope. You are the hope for me, and I know that you're the hope for so many of these families that we feature. So again, all of that to say, uh, thank you. And I guess I will take this opportunity to nag you again. Please share these cases, you guys. Your one share gets multiplied, whether you see it or not. You using these families' hashtags adds to that count that people can see on social media. And when the whole world seems to be screaming about a case, that case does get more resources. You guys have more power than you know. Now, I am taking some time off for the holidays. I will be gone next week, but I will be back in the new year. And as a little holiday gift, um, as, as pretentious as that sounds, that I am giving you some gift, um, as a little holiday something, I guess I'll say, 
I want to talk about the new show I'm launching in 2024. I have been teasing it and teasing it and teasing it. And while we are not at the point yet where I can tell you which case is being featured, I do want to tell you about the actual show. So when I set out to create a network, I wanted it to be something that true crime has never seen before. My network, Voices for Justice Media, is going to be the go-to place for people that have actually been involved in true crime cases. Families, friends, experts, law enforcement, people who have first-hand experience dealing with these things. And I have many, many plans for many shows on this network for many years to come. But let's go back to that concept that I've talked about for years now. Media pressure moves mountains. I kept going back to that phrase, to what I did for Alyssa on TikTok, through what all of us did. It wasn't just me. I will always say that what happened in Alyssa's case, what happens in so many of these cases, is a huge collective effort. It wasn't just me or Kendall Ray or Crime Junkie or Morbid. It wasn't one person that featured Alyssa's case. It was everyone coming together to one, feature it, and two, share it. And again, for as many creators that featured Alyssa's case, there were about a thousand times more listeners. A thousand times more yous out there. Creating that media pressure. So, the first new show on the network is appropriately titled Media Pressure. It's going to feature families and friends telling their own stories just like I did. Telling the stories of their missing or murdered loved ones. And the entire concept behind the show is that we aren't experts. We are just people who are either trying to build media pressure or have been greatly affected by media pressure. We are just people trying to tell our family members our friend's story from our point of view. We're not saying that we are the most unbiased source of information because how could we be? But if you want to hear these stories, if you want to hear about these victims from the people who actually knew them, if you want to hear about meetings with police that never made it to a police report, about family discussions that never saw the light of day, exclusive interviews from people who are not comfortable speaking to the media, that's what media pressure is. And I am so excited to bring it to you. Things have changed a lot since I started in true crime. When I began talking about what it was like to be a family member in this space, I got a lot of criticism. I think the most common theme was basically, be grateful for whatever coverage your family member gets. Shut up and be grateful. And while things have changed, there's still this idea out there that people like me don't belong in true crime. The people that actually knew the people at the center of these stories have no business being here that we should sit on the sidelines and be grateful for whatever people put out. And the thing is, I think we are grateful. The majority of people I talk to, myself, we are grateful for that coverage. But there's no denying that a lot of that coverage is incomplete. And that's not really the fault of anyone. You can't expect a stranger to study someone, to look at only public records, to get interviews. Imagine it's your mother, sister, father, friend, whatever it might be. The best journalist in the world gets all the public documents, 
conducts amazing interviews, they don't know that person. They didn't live with that person. They didn't stay up until 2 a.m. giggling with that person. Those intimate moments and details are not something you can research or study. Some of these things you just have to live. So again, it's not putting down any other form of true crime content. It's just bringing something new, something that for us feels more complete. I don't think many of you would listen to a podcast about medicine that wasn't hosted by a doctor or a nurse or someone with relevant experience, or a podcast about what it's like to be in a war by someone who was never there. Hell, even these review podcasts with shows are being told by the actors that played these characters. So why in true crime is it so odd for people like me? family and friends who are not under any suspicion to simply tell these stories from their point of view. Media pressure is true crime stories told by people who actually knew the victim. People who not only researched and read about these stories, but lived through them. And I really hope that you'll listen. But. As always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time.